Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, I don't have much time, so I'm going to fast forward through this again. It worked out well first service. God took over during worship. I step aside, do a quick version. You're still blessed. You still figure out what Palm Sunday is, and we encounter Jesus. Win? Win, win. Short errand, long worship. Jesus is glorified. Win, win, win. So you're good. All right, so Palm Sunday, it's fun. I'm going to be dwelling here in a while in Luke 19. So if you have your Bibles, just go to Luke 19. I'll, uh, I'll take you everywhere else. Besides that, you can just hang out there. Um, it's this great story about Palm Sunday. It's this great thing about uh, what Jesus did. And this, we reference this as Holy Week, leading up from today through next Sunday. So Holy Week involves Palm Sunday, him being welcomed into Jerusalem with palm branches and cloaks, all the way through what we call um, Holy Thursday, where he broke bread and had communion and foot washing with the disciples and humbled themselves. Let me just tell you that, that this Thursday, we're just being kind of selfish. My family, me, Nicole, and the girls, we have this tradition we've been doing uh, since we had kids. Every Thursday before Easter, we sit down, we have communion, we worship together, and we wash each other's feet. So we're going to do that here on Thursday, and I don't care if it's just my family that comes, but we want to let you in on our family tradition and make this an upper room family tradition. So we're going to have worship, corporate communion, and then family foot washing. So we're trying to not make it weird, because just to be honest with you, when I was like 12 years old, I would get stuck with the old guy with the nasty curled over, dried up yellow toenails. Good visual before lunch. Okay? And I'm like, all right, so if you're single or if you come without a family, we have a creative solution for you not to feel left out, but you won't have to end up with the, with the guy with the nasty toenails who hasn't trimmed them in four weeks, all right, or four years. Okay, so anyway, just join us in our tradition, but that's Monday or Holy Thursday, and that's where Jesus humbled himself. He broke bread. He began to be intimate with the disciples, telling them what's to come. Then he humbled himself, bowed down, and washed their feet. So we want to do that this week in honor of him. It's not about us. It's not about the nasty toenails. It's, it's about him. And that's really what we're going to do. And then, then you get to, to Friday and what happened Friday, the crucifixion, and then he arose on Sunday. Today I was going to do a two-part series for this week and next week called The Resurrection This Week and The Life Next Week. I'm going to do that together next week because I don't want to fast forward through the significance of what Holy Week was. Let, let me just say the resurrection was for life, but the crucifixion's for salvation. There is a purpose behind the crucifixion, and I get so excited about the resurrection and Jesus conquering death, hell, and the grave. Sometimes I fast forward through the persecution. Sometimes I fast forward through, through him being whipped with the, with the cat and nine tails. I, I get fast forward through the mocking and the spitting on and him being put up on a cross. Sometimes I fast forward through that because the big picture is the resurrection, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that we can be joined with him in eternal life, right? But I felt like it was fitting today to not fast forward through the crucifixion just to get to the resurrection. Because there is significance in the persecution. There is significance in the crucifixion. There is a purpose behind it. Today's message is, is called Palm Sunday, the promise and the persecution. Listen, in Isaiah 53, 5, it says this. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. 
There is a purpose behind the crucifixion. There is a purpose behind what he endured and the price he paid. Listen, he who knew no sin took on our sin. Have you ever thought about that? I often feel like I, I didn't deserve that. You know, I don't deserve him and what he paid and what he gives and what he gave. Like it's already finished. He did it. And I just often, sometimes I often feel unworthy and like I don't deserve that. And let me just be really honest with you. We don't deserve it, but that's why he did it. He became our propitiation. He became the bridge between a sinful world and the almighty loving father in eternity who wants to dwell with us forever. He came to seek and save that which was lost. You know, that, and not just who, but he came to seek and save that which was lost. Some of us, we've lost our joy, we've lost our passion, we've lost our hunger, we've lost our, our marriage, or we've lost this, or we've lost that. Listen, he came to seek and save that which was lost. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We're the joy. Any point in time, he could have removed himself from the cross, but guess what? He didn't. Why? Because he was paying a price for you and I when he didn't deserve it, and we did, but he did it anyway out of the love that he gave for us. Like at any point, and when Peter cuts off the, the soldier's ear, and he, and he cuts off that ear and he says, you know, Peter, what are you doing? Like God cares so much, even about the soldier wanting to persecute him, he puts it back on. But he says, Peter, don't you know that, that I could call 12 legions of angels and remove myself and take care of the situation? But the math on that is 77,000 angels. Now here's the deal, if you go back to the Old Testament, four angels wiped out an entire army once. So 77,000 angels. So I begin to picture this, and as I read the, the, the story about Holy Week and all that happened in the cross and, and what he endured for you and I, I remember and I think back, like at any time he could have removed himself from the cross, at any time when it was hard, at any time when he was getting beaten or side pierced or any of these things, at any time he could have removed himself. But guess what? He stayed there, and he took it until it was finished. Let me move on here. So Luke 19, 28 through 40 says this. We're going to focus here. It says, and when he said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that was called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you untying it? You just shall say, the Lord is in need of it. So go to that brand new car lot, take that really nice car that's never been used before, just take it, and if anybody tries to stop you, if the police come, just tell them Jesus needs it. <laughs> so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, even if they were silent, the stones would still cry out. I want to point out some things in the context of this prophetic scripture, what's happening. 
First off, there's a crowd that's there, and this crowd, the whole multitude of disciples, the whole, the whole multitude is chanting and yelling and waving these palm branches and laying down their cloaks because the king is coming to town. Now, there was two perceptions here of the king. And see, the Pharisees pick up on it because they don't say to correct anybody else. It says, correct your disciples. So here's what's happening. This crowd is chanting and yelling and, and saying these things, glory to God on the highest, Right? See, there's a crowd. There's, there's two versions of, of people and, and churchgoers, the consumer-centered and the Christ-centered. Let, let, me, let me just paint a picture here. The crowd was actually welcoming a king and saying the same thing that his personal disciples were saying because they thought that a new political power was coming into town. They thought they were getting a new president. They thought Jesus was actually a great teacher and a great prophet, and, and they were saying, yes, King Herod's going to be dethroned, and we're going to have a new king, and this king is going to overthrow the government, and it's going to be great. We're going to be free. That's really what the crowd's chanting, but Jesus' disciples, in their heart, it was Christ-centered, not consumer-centered. Consumer-centered means it's about me. It's about Jesus coming to me. What's Jesus going to do for me? I'm going to come to church to get something out of it. I'm going to come to church to see what it can offer me. I'm going to come to Jesus to see how he'll bless me. How he'll turn my business around. How he'll, how he'll turn my kids around. I'm going to come to Jesus to see what I can get out of it. That's the consumer-centered culture saying, saying these things. And they're saying and, and singing and, and rejoicing over the same thing for a different purpose. But the Pharisees say, correct your disciples. Those are the ones with the heart that it was Christ-centered. Saying, listen, this is our king. He's the king of kings. He's not just a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the host of hosts. So it's the Christ center saying, listen, I come to church to lift him up. I come to church to be in his presence. I come to church to be with my brothers and sisters to encourage them and, and to be there with them and to lift them on high as we glorify the King of Kings. That's the Christ center where we plant Jesus in the center every week and we just see what he's going to do. And I get excited every single week to see what's next. I come in here every week like, man, what's it going to be? What's worship going to be like? What's the transition going to be? Am I going to get to preach? What's it going to come out like? How are people going to receive it? What's going to be the ending? I, to this moment, I don't know how I'm ending this thing. We'll just see what happens. I get excited. Why? Because it's about him. It's not about me. It's not about our consumer-centered society. It's not about what we can get, but what can we give you, Jesus? I present myself a living sacrifice to you. Isn't that amazing? So we get through this, and, and uh, let, me, let me just carry on here. The new app, on the, or the new iPad thing doesn't give me a time at the top, so I've got to really dial into that clock in the back now. All right, so Luke 19, 37 and 38 says this, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. Listen, they had witnessed, they had been with Jesus. They know what's about to happen. Listen, this is happening. And then it says this, verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sound familiar? It's called his triumphal entry. When Jesus was entering into Jerusalem for the finish, it was the same way he entered into the earth for the finish, as a baby. So we go to Luke 2.14, and it says the same thing. He had gathered the wise men from afar, the shepherds from afar. Long story short, they're throwing a party and celebrating at the manger scene the same way they're celebrating in Jerusalem now, welcoming a king into the midst. And they're singing the same thing. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The same way we welcome Jesus to the earth as a baby is the same way he's welcome to pay the ultimate price. Why? Because when Jesus is around, it's due for a celebration. When Jesus comes into the midst, it's a good thing. When Jesus comes into my situation, it's a good thing. When Jesus comes into my heart, it's a good thing. When Jesus comes into my home, it's a good thing. And I get to celebrate glory to God. Jesus is here. So the two points of today is really about promises being fulfilled and the persecution having purpose. So the first one is God's promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says this. It says that his promises are what? Yes and amen. It's his promise. It's our process. So it's his yes. It's our amen. It's his promise. It's our process. They're yes and amen. They never return void. They never return unfulfilled. Even if it ends up the way we don't think it, even if it ends up in a different timing than we feel our opinion should be right, they're always yes and amen. He never abandons us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never turns his back on us. And his promises and his prophecies and his declarations over us are always yes and amen. A good verse for your bathroom mirror. And a little trick here, if you use white marker, it erases. So you don't need to do the post-it notes if you don't want to. Jeremiah 29:11 is a good declaration, a good promise over you. For he knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you, plans for a hope and plans for a good future. Things like that, that you're a royal priesthood, you're his chosen people. If you don't have enough people in your life telling you how Jesus feels about you, and you don't have enough people in your life telling how, how awesome the Father sees you, then you can just read the word to say, wow, this is what he says about me. Those are promises over your life. Those are prophecies over your life when he's saying you're his holy people. When he's saying that you're worthy of that cross, when he's calling you these things, his royal priesthood. Paul gets it in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 when he's saying that we are heirs to the kingdom. We're heirs to heaven, co-heirs with Christ. Now, that means, just like in the Lord's Prayer, it says that kingdom come, let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, here's the deal with that. Whatever's in heaven, now we have a legal right as an heir with Jesus as our brother. Co-heirs. Christ is our brother is what it says. So we're co-heir with Christ, heirs of heaven. Those are the promises that are over us. So let me get to this. There's 300 prophecies of Jesus coming to the earth in the way that he's going to come and fulfilling the ultimate price so that you and I could have eternal life. 300 prophecies. And at this moment when he goes to the cross, now, now this is chapters 19 through 23. 19 through 23 in Luke talks about all the way from the process of, of Jesus. And this is a major week. This is a busy week for Jesus. We, we probably wouldn't be able to handle the busyness that he did. We'd be like, I need a Sabbath. <laughs> so anyway, we get to this place, and he's sharing with the Sadducees. He's, first, it starts off with Zacchaeus. You know, it starts off with this thing, and then it goes into all this, these things, and he's talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's telling parables. He's going from place to place telling these stories. Then all of a sudden, he gets caught, and he gets captured. He faces Pontius Pilate, gets drugged through the street. Right? And this is all after the Thursday night with the disciples hanging out and breaking bread and, and sharing his heart and drawing them in close. And humbling himself to wash their feet. I just find that amazing. So then you get to this place of, of all the way through the process. And, and, but here we go back because it's not just the ultimate thing. Like God's promises are yes and amen. So then we get to, to the 300 prophecies 
of how it's going to happen. And then at this point where it says it is finished, all but one then has been fulfilled. His return is the only thing that hasn't yet been fulfilled. So 300 prophecies are fulfilled when he's saying it is finished through the resurrection. So his promises are yes and amen. So we get to Zechariah 9.9. We go back to the prophet Zechariah, and he's saying this in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And then it says this, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, foul of a donkey. Now, now listen, God cares about the big promises over your life, the prophecies over your life, the big picture of your life, but also the little details. Don't think for a second that he is not faithfully, intentionally wanting to fulfill every one of your promises. Even to the point of how he came in Jerusalem back to the prophet Zechariah saying it's going to be on a baby donkey. All the way to the very detail, God fulfills his promises. To the very detail, to the very small things. So sometimes we're like, well, he'll take care of the big stuff, but maybe not the little stuff. No, he knows every hair on your head. He called you by name before you were ever born. And he cares even about the little things and the desires of your heart. That's who he is. He's a detailed-oriented God, even to the point of, listen, this is the God that invented teleportation. He could have placed himself right there in Jerusalem, but what did he do? It was down to the details, fulfilling the prophecies and the promises that he had given. Let me, let me move on. The persecution. Let me just put it to you this way. We are not going to, on this earth, endure anything that Jesus already didn't endure on even greater magnitudes. Jesus came in as a human being to feel what we feel, to feel the emotion we feel, to feel the pain we feel, to walk the earth as we walk the earth. And we think we've got it bad when somebody talks bad about us behind our back. We think we've got it bad when somebody, you know, looks at us the wrong way or flips us off because we accidentally cut them off. It's just one of the things that really makes me mad. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. I get mad when somebody flips me off when I don't deserve it. If I deserve it, fine, I'm sorry, you know? But like one time I was just turning into my turn lane, had a green arrow, and somebody was like turning, like they had the caution thing, and they turned red, and I was like, they flipped me off. I was like, I had a green arrow. But <laughs> if you're here for the first time, we're not super religious here, all right? It's all about relationship. We can talk about the real world of people flipping us off and we don't deserve it. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless their heart. We're in the South. That'd be appropriate right now. But here's the deal. Like, so all of a sudden, we go through these things, physical pain. We go through disease. We go through these things on earth, emotions and things. But we will not endure anything that Jesus didn't endure even to a greater magnitude. We were talking Wednesday night at our home group, and, and Josh was saying, so a good question is to ask Jesus how he handled that situation when he was there. Oh, wow, somebody's persecuting me. Jesus, how did you handle this when they were persecuting you? Oh, wow, I'm dealing with some unforgiveness right now because there's some stuff going on. Jesus, how did you deal with unforgiveness when you were up on the cross and they falsely persecuted you and crucified you? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So we begin to ask ourselves, Jesus, how did you handle this? And you get to fill in the blank of your hardship, 
of your trial, of your issue. And then all of a sudden, we have the greatest example on the planet that's ever been created to see how he handled hardships and issues and circumstances and trials to say, wow, we get to bless him. We get to love him. We get to heal him. We get to, we get to do these things through Christ, right? We get to forgive him. Why? Because he forgave. And the measure in which I forgive, he forgives me, which has been a lot. Like, this is the cool thing. So his persecution actually has purpose, not just to bring us to the Father for eternity, not just healing, not just the things that Isaiah 53, 5 references, but also now as an example of how I navigate through things and hardships and issues in my life. How many here have had a hardship? Jesus dealt with death. Jesus dealt with anger. He goes into the, it's another story here. He goes into the tabernacle. They've turned it into a flea market. They've turned it into this thing. And and guess what? He had some righteous anger, begins to flip up tables, rebuke them, and bring back what the call of the tabernacle was supposed to be. A house of worship, a house of prayer. So Jesus, how'd you handle that? Listen, the issue, the sin is not your anger. The sin is what you do with it once you have it. The sin is not your impatience or your... The sin is now that you've discovered that. Now, how do you walk that out? Listen, I love that I serve a God that's not just a restorer. He's a redeemer. He makes things better than they ever were. Restoration means brings it back to the place it was. Redemption means that he brings it better than it ever was before. That's Jesus. It's amazing. The band can come. I'm done. Isaiah 53, 5, once again says this. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we, we could be healed. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And and salvation in the Greek means sozo in that context. It says today is the day of sozo, which means, and you have pamphlets there, we have a sozo ministry. It means saved, healed, and what? Delivered, saved, healed, and delivered. So today is the day of being saved for eternity, right? Being healed of any iniquity, being healed of any any ailment, any disease, any pain, right? And delivered from things that are trying to accuse or attack or lie about us. Like we get deliverance from oppression. We get deliverance from infirmity. We get deliverance over the perversion. We get deliverance over these things, y'all. Because today is that day, which means every day is that day, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ever realize that? It wasn't just yesterday was the day of salvation, or tomorrow's the day of salvation, or when I get my life in order and I get cleaned up enough, I'll get baptized. No, he's the same all the time, and he's not looking for you to be clean to take a shower, just like he's not looking for you to be clean to get into church and actually give your heart to him. Today is the day of salvation where he gets to do that, where I don't have to. Why don't you stand with me? I know there was a lot there. <laughs> Just like, receive. Benny Hinnon. So, I didn't want to fast forward through the crucifixion just to get to the resurrection. Like, to me, that's the icing on the cake. But there's still meat of the cake. Like, that's the glory. That's, that's we get to participate. We get to, we get to have the glory of his resurrection. Guess what? The word says in Paul writes that we still get to participate in the suffering too. 
Now let me, let me rephrase that. When we go for suffering, we have the grace and the mercy and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to get through it because we get to ask Jesus, how'd you handle that? Because I get to walk with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I asked Jesus into my heart, he became the hope of glory inside of me. He became the source of power in me. When the Holy Spirit filled me, when the Holy Ghost filled me up, man, I get to look at things a lot different than I used to. Why? Because I have a power of a living being living inside of me. That's the hope to the entire world of all times. Who created it, who died for it, and still adopts it. Why? Because he loves us. So I want to challenge you this week. This is the challenge that I'm giving today. I want to challenge you this week, Holy Week, to actually be hungry for the Word of God. And I want you to study this week out. I want you to look through what Jesus endured for you and I. Make it personal, like, like He did this for me. A few years ago, a movie came out called The Passion. And, and I'll just be honest with you, maybe YouTube some of the, 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 the videos, the imagery that The Passion put. Let me just remind you of something that the Word says. Once he was crucified, once he was beaten so bad, he was unrecognizable from a human carcass to an animal carcass. They couldn't distinguish between a man or an animal of his remains. Now, come on. That's how bad he was beaten for you and I when he didn't even deserve it. So I begin to read this story and I begin to just eat this book and eat the, the gospels where it's talking about this and I begin to picture myself on the cross I begin to picture him in my place and I just want to just provoke you this week holy week and every week to really get in your word and just man this was for me this was for me like we, I deal a lot with addicts we always tell them like oftentimes when you change for a spouse or you change for a child it doesn't stick you have to really get in a hunger for somebody to want to change for themselves then all of a sudden that other things work out like I can't change because I want my girls to be good like, I change and then the fruit of my change produces fruit in them it's about me like I this is a, a time where you get to be selfish to say you were in my place on that cross. You were for my sin on that cross. You were for my iniquity on that cross. You were for my healing when you hit, took those stripes. You were broken so I could be whole. Like this is the time that you get to be selfish. And as you read this week, and as you, you dive into Luke and, and all the other gospels, but Luke 19 through 23, you get to see, wow, man, Jesus poured it all out so that I don't have to just die a little bit. I get to die all the way. Not just a little bit of my sins were forgiven. All my sins were forgiven. Not just a little bit of healing, but all of it. This is Jesus. So today, I, I just, I want to lead you into a prayer and just, just release a hunger for him. Hunger greater than ever before. That promises are yes and amen. And that is persecution and purpose. And we get to have the greatest example on this earth. To be a Christ-centered society. To say it's about him. So God, I just, I thank you. Thank you for your body. I thank you for your bride. I thank you for unity in this, Jesus. I thank you for every church in this region preaching your gospel and your good news this coming week. I thank you for new salvations and new creatures in Christ, God. Right now, Lord, we don't want to fast forward. We want to really soak in this moment to really adore and thank you and give you gratitude for the
of us, God. I thank you that you were bruised and you were broken and, and, and you were beat, but your blood cleanses us and makes us pure. Your body was broken so we could be whole. And you gave an ultimate sacrifice so we could be forgiven of our sins and our mistakes and our failures and our bad choices, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you become then the greatest example of all the earth for how we mitigate and walk through tough times. Thank you that your promises, including this one and all the prophecies.